0: The next chapter with Prim's Saripipat is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former midfielder and captain of the U.S. women's soccer team, two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time FIFA Women's World Cup champion, and current soccer analyst for ESPN, Julie Foudy. So, Jules is undoubtedly one of the most influential figures in the game of soccer. She began traveling with the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team at just 16 years old and would do so from 1988 all the way to 2004, eventually serving as a team's captain from 2000 through her retirement. Playing alongside Mia Hamm, Brandi Chastain and also Joy Fawcett, Julie played during what many refer to as the golden era of women's soccer in the United States. And after finishing her career with 274 caps and 271 international matches, she was inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame, unsurprisingly, and not too long after her retirement. I think what stands out to me in speaking to Julie is just how she seemed to gravitate towards team sports over individual sports and how certain factors, including her general disposition and personality and upbringing also, helped her maintain this balanced identity throughout her entire childhood and also during her athletic career, which made for a much smoother transition from sport. So it begs the questions of, is there a difference between the personalities of team sport athletes versus individual sport athletes? Do athletes somehow gravitate towards sports that fit their personalities? Or does a sport somehow shape the athlete? Those are some questions you might want to keep in mind as you listen to our discussion. We taped this interview a few years back in 2019. So Here we are sitting in the living room of our house in Southern California, crushing some donuts and hanging out also with our dog Swaggy, which you might hear from time to time. Here's Julie Foudy. Do you think there's a difference between athletes who come from team sports versus individual? Oh, for sure. Yeah? How so? I mean, I know you're an individual. Oh, well,
1: it's all But you're,
0: you're, pretty, you're pretty
1: social <laughs> for an individual. <laughs> you're pretty <laughs> normal for an individual. No, I'm really not normal, though.
0: I, I will fully admit that tennis players can be extremely selfish. Definitely. Well it's just it's different
1: right yeah. like you to be successful you have to be successful right same mm. with figure skating or you know even gymnastics but it mm. still has the team component in gymnastics but um i remember billy jean king saying that's why she always loved fed cup right yes because it was finally and why she formed the world team tennis because mm-hmm. she wanted to be part of a team right that was her thing um Whereas ours, you know, you clearly have that selfish, internal, intrinsic motivation, but it has to work mm. for the team to be successful within the
0: group a little bit more. Were you always somebody that gravitated towards the team? Yeah, you are. Were- I'm I'm definitely a capital E extrovert. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You really are. You're like yeah. Miss Miss Little Sunshine, <laughs> and you really are though. Because Aww. and that's so sweet. Well, you are always. <laughs> Can you hear her? Is that too much? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Swaggy P just chewing on the on, on her toy, on <laughs> her football toy. Um, that's your teammate these days. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, because I it, it is interesting to hear in interviewing all, all these athletes, and everybody talks about how they got into sports, how it became a part of their identity, or mm-hmm. did or did not, and just how. Sometimes a sport will find the person while other people will gravitate towards a certain sport. Mm. And I don't know, I don't know if I would have been different had I been a part of a team sport or maybe Mm. I just ended up. Did you ever play team sports? I played basketball. I did dance. Even though dance is sort of individual, but yeah. at, a, at a younger age, you perform collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that you played basketball, Prim. Because how tall are you? <laughs> did, Jules, you dad, did, you, did you cross everybody the five thinks I'm five seven? <throat> no, no. Yeah, I was awful. You're like five two. Yeah, I stopped growing at twelve. <laughs> like I was five. Obviously, I was a point guard. <laughs> but I, I did swimming. You ran dance, the game. Track basketball but basketball is the only team sort of team oriented yeah sport
1: see i didn't even gravitate to individual sports ever no i tried tennis for a little bit and um they <laughs> did i tell you my first tennis story no share. Sure. Like, we it sounds so like white suburban middle class it's so <laughs> so, so pathetic very orange county and we were not like effluent at all we were like lower middle class but for some reason we were part of this like little country club you right the yeah Hill country club and my parents loved to play tennis and so they wanted me to play tennis and so I tried it and they ranked me you know they rank you in the
0: they did that when you first started out yes I was in like some tournament that's pretty intense they- oh you're talking about like seating yeah they seated oh, me yeah. I was like last wait did you not practice before you played in inter- tournament? you really- just went straight into a tournament I don't know don't- Julie Fowdy does that I don't know. You didn't even but play. I was you just in, like, like went some
1: like cl- country club tournament. I probably had practiced a few times and, with my <laughs> parents, but I never like had done anything formally. And they seated me like last. And I was like, Well, yeah, because you had never played.
0: <laughs> and know, of course they would still, seed was you last.
1: Like, That's so rude. I don't like this sport. And I quit. I was like, ah, I'm last. That has nothing do to do with it, be,
0: it being an individual sport. It's just the mere fact that you got seated last, though. Yes, so. yes, exactly.
1: And my parents let me quit. I was like, why did you let me do that? That was very like <laughs> on oh, last. What uh, why did they say, to your point, well maybe you should put some work in and then you could rise up. But no. But by then I was already playing all my other sports, so I didn't really have the time.
0: Yeah, what what are your first memories of of sports? How did you ever get exposed to it? Um your first memories.
1: Um, I think just playing with the boys at recess. Yeah. So how old were you? And plus I had, had, I'm the youngest of four, two older brothers, always playing, very athletic family. Every vacation was around some type of, you know, skiing or water skiing or something we were out doing. Um, I was probably, I mean, literally like running around with them all the time playing, you know, from when I could walk. But I think first organized sport was like
0: seven years old by today's standards, Mm -hmm. far too late yeah Um, I know the whole specialization that's a whole different story um but yeah I think
1: I I I asked to be put in soccer like as soon as I got to elementary school because we go out at recess and we play what sports did you play I did uh soccer softball Mm -hmm. volleyball track and field Mm -hmm. everything really I wanted to do basketball but it ran I never did I didn't Back then, you didn't do much organized stuff. Like, I was the fourth kid. So it was like, you know, like
0: my my parents were over parenting.
1: (laughs) You're you're good. Just
0: go out in the streets and play. Uh, Or under parenting. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, it was very laissez faire. Like, you're fine.
0: But that Um, probably helped you a lot. The fact that they were a lot, very hands off.
1: Uh, That sounds me. They were great. But they signed me up for soccer. But like, (laughs) I never played organized basketball. And the only thing organized I played was softball. And mm. soccer, and then I, um, I obviously picked up the sports in high school. Like I played ho- high school volleyball, and then I love volleyball. But then basketball ran ran the same as soccer. I would have loved to play basketball.
0: Oh, I think you you found. I think I could have been
1: really good at basketball.
0: I think you would have been real. Honestly, I, I, I'm not just <laughs> saying you, you would have been good no matter what because you it's. Uh,
1: You're, I mean, it, it sounds like you were a phenomenal
0: some. athlete from a very young age.
1: Uh. I don't know about that. I, I definitely am a really good athlete just mm-hmm. naturally. Like I can catch and throw and do all that stuff. Um, but I was also a grinder. Mm. Right? Like I worked and I juggled and I'm in the backyard and just because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Not like with any intention. It was just I wanted to be out playing tackle football with the boys. I was a total tomboy.
0: So you are a jock? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> and so you and I have known each other for Several years, I think. I mean, I started in at ESPN in 2011. I was gonna say like almost a decade. I bet. Yeah, we've known each other for a while, and I think we. It might have started with ESPNW, the word, the the word. I know. Gosh, she's digital anymore. So we we did these digital segments, but it was kind of the first of its kind, where it was a kind of like first take, Mm -hmm. opinion driven, but Mm -hmm. all female show, and I always play the host and be like you and spainer and- Men- mendoza yeah. shelburne yeah um, but that was fun now i've completely lost track about what, what i was talking about reminiscing those were good times but i i remember talking to you a few years back and i asked you if you how you transitioned out of sport and if you had ever experienced any struggles i don't know if you remember this but i remember you saying no like you had no mm-hmm. issues transitioning out of sport hmm And at the time, I was just in a different place mentally, personally. Mm -hmm. But then now that I've matured and grown, and now that I've learned more about your background, I think it just makes sense because, um, I mean, clearly you're super smart, Stanford, super smart. Well, you know what? You got into Stanford Medical (laughs) School. Well, like yeah. and now ap- that, but thank you but applying to grad school now like i'm not I, i'm oh, not yes. awfully shabby like i went to duke and Go i'm applying on. to grad school yeah but you're going phd no but i mean medical school is the same thing having to take the mcats having to apply yeah. i just wrote a 13 page analytical essay on some, uh, it's great it is so competitive wait, and what are you gonna get your phd counseling in? counseling psychology oh that's right counseling okay. psychology and sports psychology but you got in and. Um, my point is, is that it sounds like you transitioned well because number one, you, you had all this other stuff going on you were smart and you had mm-hmm. plan B, C, D, E. And also the way you're, the trajectory of your career and you guys were so, I don't, I don't want to say that you might've exceeded your own expectations but that Mm -hmm. was a time when there was not a lot of opportunities for women's sports yeah and just hearing your stories you talking to your teammates and your podcast and everything like how people just come up to you all the time Mm -hmm. and talk about that 99 team I guess it's almost like you never had a transition out of it because your legacy is just like (laughs) it's like every I'm not trying to like (laughs) blow it out but correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm if I'm wrong Right. Well, I
1: think my transition was easier because I had a lot of interests while I was playing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like my, well, my transition primarily was easy because soccer wasn't my everything. I loved soccer, but like soccer never defined who I was. And, um, I mean, to a point where I think I actually would have been a better soccer player had I been more focused on soccer but I also knew personally like if I just focused 24/7 on soccer as some people do in their sport right mm-hmm. I mean we've, we've we've seen Carly Lloyd how she operates or a Tobin Heath or I'm you know I'm talking current team but that's that that's their thing right I'm all in all the time I love it I'm like shoot me now if that was going to be me because I just wasn't wired that way. I Mm -hmm. loved soccer, but I could not consume it 24 seven. And so as a result, I did a ton of external things, right? I sat on boards or I was the president of the women's sports foundation while I was still playing, or, um, I sat on commissions or I just had a bunch of Mm -hmm. divergent interests and, um, things going on that fed me mentally and, emotionally, Mm. because I needed that balance. And that's, I think, why it was so easy to step away, actually. Mm. Because I think that it's hard to step away when, you know, you define yourself as that sport. Mm. And it's like, wait, if I'm not doing that sport, who am I? And um, Mm -hmm. I actually was excited for well, who am I? I? I'm all these different things I could be, and this is just a great adventure. So let's go! Like I'm, I've done this on the soccer side, and mm-hmm. I've accomplished a lot, and it's been great. But all this other new stuff awaits. So I found it exciting and exhilarating, rather than suffocating. For some, which I get right, mm-hmm. and and it may be a result of my parents. Being very hands off, right?
0: Yeah, again, like like it wasn't. You
1: know, we we now see the model of the parents, you know, forcing kids in and specializing, and you will play, and you'll play seven days a week, and um, and so that's all that kid defines their life by is this sport, as we've seen. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And I clearly was not that person, so I think that helped.
0: That's just, it's just a, it's a fascinating thing because my own experience I've been pretty open about, it, but I, I realized that I at a very early age internalized tennis way too much, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those weird, like every sport has its own culture, right? And tennis is one of those weird sports and it's similar to ice skating and gymnastics um, where you could train eight hours a day yeah. and that's what I was doing. But, but it starts with that on
1: you or like, was there external pressure to do that? Both. And, uh-huh. and also
0: just honestly, lack of, uh, this is my parents, just a lack of understanding of what, what was required. Right. Our coach told us to do that. So they thought, oh, so maybe this is what we're supposed right. to do. Right. And they were, they came from the world of academia, but they had, they didn't have any experience in, in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought, oh, well maybe this is what we're supposed to do. And back then in the eighties and before that, that was a mindset and like, oh, more hours must be good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned that that identification starts at a very early age, whether it's the, the influence of the parents. Mm-hmm. But how did you have that perspective to know that soccer is just what I do and not who I am? Because mm-hmm. you were so good at such a young mm-hmm. age. Like you were the weren't you the Southern California player of the year for three consecutive <laughs> years? And you were playing on the World Cup team at such a yeah. young age. Um that's a good question. I think I was just wired that way.
1: I never, um, I, one, I didn't realize how good I was until I literally got on the national team when I was 16, although it was young. Um, but that was like a huge surprise. I was like suddenly going, wait, what? I'm on the national team. I'm- wait,
0: I'm So you didn't know until you were on the world, Cup, on, on the U S national, national team. team, but you were player of the year for Southern California for three consecutive years. And you, you were also the <laughs> LA times high school player of the year
1: of the eighties. Yeah. But that was later, right? Like beyond they go back in the eighties, I think, <laughs> I don't know, actually, that's a good point. Could have been right when i graduated yeah high i was like what do you yeah so i don't you know when i got player the, really? well no i didn't i had no idea i literally like you know you're playing you're having fun and you're on a good club team but again like i played everything else i played softball i played volleyball i did track and field in in high school i mean i was doing like three four sports it wasn't until i went to college that i just played soccer and so it was a thing that i did and i clearly loved it the most but I think because I was so balanced with all the other stuff, I never burn out on it. I always wanted to go back to it, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, clearly not a case of sports specialization in, in my scenario. Clearly not. But I'm not alone. Like m- my generation, you know, Mia, Ham, Christine Lilly, Brandy Chastain. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all played a ton of different sports growing up. And, um, mm-hmm. and you ask anyone from that, you know, 90s, early 2000s era, a lot of them. On team sports, I would say. Maybe yeah. individual sports is different because that they get into the grind of the gymnastics world. Yeah, because I'm thinking about world. Jennifer
0: Capriotti. Yeah. Ca- Jennifer Capriotti is of the world and she's yeah. around that era. So there were definitely people that... But U.S. team sports people? Right.
1: They applied everything. That's, wh-
0: that's, that's interesting. That's what I'm... That's what I'm trying All to figure out. All my teammates did, did
1: everything. So I, I think I just... And I also realized like I played best when I was free, like mentally free. Mm-hmm. The, the, the more I thought about my game and like hyper-analyzed it, I, it was like paralysis by analysis. <laughs> I was like <laughs> and overthinking things. And if I was overthinking things instead of just feeling things, then I did not play well. So I realized like I need that diversion. People on the team, the national team, used to say to me if I was serious before a game, like, "What's wrong with you?" Really? And, like, snap out of it.
0: So it's, it's almost it's almost as if you know that you can't get to a level of seriousness because that's like your yeah that's that's not my maybe road your, to ruin. Yeah, you have to keep it light. <laughs> no, I guess I that makes light. that makes sense with your sunshiny personality yeah. because like that that's your. Like I'm the dancer
1: in the locker room, messing around. I don't have my headphones on, like locked in. Like, but what I realize is not everyone is like that, right? No. So some people, everyone has their way of getting ready for, you know their game, I was going to say battle, but I hate making war references, getting ready for their game, right? And I realized like, oh, because I'm that way doesn't mean Brianna Scurry is that way, which she clearly is not, our goalkeeper back in the
0: day. She was super serious, serious, very locked in. And I'd be like,
1: Bri, let's go. You're bringing me down. Yeah, To the
0: point where she had to turn her head away from the the penalty kicks and like, so she could focus. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's right. Yeah. Good memory. Uh, that's. I just learned that the other day. Well, I was listening to your podcast. That's why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. We learned together. Yeah. Your laughter permitted podcast has been really good. Well, so when you were in high school, so you're playing multiple sports <laughs> and soccer, but also track and volleyball, right, in high yeah. school, up mm-hmm. until you decided to go to Stanford. Exactly. and. What other, what other offers are you getting from in terms of colleges? Um,
1: okay, well, so back then, that was 89. Is that what I... Yes. 89. I was already on the national team. And um, of the schools I was looking at, I don't know how many schools in general at the Division I level had scholarships, but I was only looking at a handful. Um,
0: Do you remember? Seriously,
1: yeah. Uh, Duke... Oh. UNC.
0: Uh, yeah, of course, UNC. Yeah, because
1: UNC. I mean... I actually probably would have preferred Duke, but it's like, oh, my God, if I'm going to go to North Carolina and I don't go to UNC, that'd be weird because all my teammates Yeah, all are your teammates, and their UNC, soccer program was Yeah, and their crazy. soccer program was so good. My national team coach was the coach at UNC. Yeah. So, um, uh, Berkeley. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. Cal Berkeley. Why? Because it's like our big Stanford rival. Oh, yeah. And then Stanford... And then like Harvard, Yale, hmm. Ivy Leagues.
0: Smarty Pants. But those
1: were like the, you know, the top six or seven. I, I went to Harvard and Yale both on recruiting trips. Um,
0: so clearly you were a very good student.
1: I was a good student. And I had high expectations for I wanted to go to college. Like I wanted the academic athletic mix, which is I'd always wanted to go to Stanford. Hmm. I don't know why, but I think a teacher must have planted that seed early on because I wrote in my diary at one point, like I will go to Stanford on a soccer scholarship when I was in like second grade, you know, really? Yeah. And get straight A's. And I was very driven for Stanford, but Stanford had no scholarships. So, um, UNC had a scholarship. I think Duke might have had a scholarship. Cal didn't have a scholarship. Ivy leagues didn't have a scholarship. Mm -hmm. So it was really like UNC was my, my, my scholarship because a lot of division one programs didn't have scholarships back then.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: and so Stanford was like, well, we don't have one yet, but we hope to have them by next year. Um, that was kind of their thing. And so I basically turned down a full ride wow. to Duke and uh, UNC and um, went to Stanford put on loans. <laughs> but
0: that's a good loan. I
1: know, I know. I'm glad I did. It's a really I didn't good one, though. It didn't come the next year, and it didn't come my junior year. But the senior, my senior, the senior year, did. they finally got their first women's soccer scholarship, and he gave the whole scholarship to me, which was nice.
0: wow. That's so awesome. so I got
1: the first full right there. My were,
0: senior year. Were your other siblings good students?
1: Um. Yeah, pretty good. My oh, brother's the, not so much. My sister, you, yeah.
0: Were you a, Were you just a high achiever? Or just, where yes, did a good grade? Very grades.
1: driven. My brothers like were good students and then got into surfing and got into like that beach culture and, <laughs> and then they weren't great students and cause we live near the ocean down here. And so there, there's that pole. Um, but yeah, I always, I always was a really good student. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It was part of my like competitive genes. I'm super competitive. I wanted to be the top in my math class. They mm-hmm. in second grade they'd rank where you were in like math and I was always underneath Helen. And that <sighs> made me
0: angry. I love how you know the name. <laughs> It was like, what's what her last Helen name? Do? What's her last name? I don't remember her last name. Uh, that would have been what great. Did Helen do? Shout out, that Helen! Me? You were the person that pushed Jules <laughs> to two gold medals. <laughs> <Right. and> <laughs> how, <laughs> how was she above them? me in the multiplication charts? <laughs> I knew everyone. So you were just, you uh, were so just I was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were a high achiever or just competitive? Because there, there is a difference, right? Yeah, because what think, is the difference? Well, I think achievement-oriented, you're just kind of competing against yourself and you strive for accomplishments. Um, maybe those accomplishments kind of help dictate your value. I'm actually very achievement-oriented. Yeah. Not because it's like in a narcissistic way, but yeah. I was I loved the idea of being able to determine my progress or how well I do. So I liked straight A's. I, straight A's. Like you know it's like A to F. Yeah um i paid attention to gpa like yeah totally i, I did all that yeah. so i probably was a high achiever but i wasn't always a good competitor like i i'm i'm competitive but not in the way that, of like a good champion competitiveness i'm competitive mm. with myself and i will be competitive with People in a certain way, like I heard your conversation with Billie Jean King, and she was saying like she's not really competitive unless she cares right, uh, about something. But but suddenly she got very competitive with, know, our with our squeaky game toy game. Guys were yeah. playing, I was so like, oh like, yeah, you're not. You're competitive. like whatever. You're not competitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I was both. Okay, because I I'm
1: like competitive with spoons or board games or Pictionary or right? Like,
0: no, I'm gonna win everything. Are you competitive with yourself? Or are you or just other people? Are, uh, are you one of those people that hmm. you are hard on yourself?
1: Mm, no, I'm not like a I, I'm I'm competitive, but that I don't like beat myself up. So I think it's mm. this like wholesome competitive, we should call it wholesome discontent on the national team. <laughs> that Right. You're super driven to get better, to keep growing, to learn, but in a wholesome way, because there are those people mm. who we've seen and who, you know, can beat themselves up and are so consumed with perfect mm. that mm. it's paralysis again. And that, no, I didn't, I didn't have that because again, and I go back to, that makes sense. it wasn't my everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I think is healthy. Like I had other things and didn't define who I was. My success or failure wasn't outcome driven. It was more, I just was competitive.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I I love doing these interviews because in order to get the full picture of somebody and understand how they were able to transition or deal Mm -hmm. with certain Events in their life, and it doesn't have to be transitioning out of sport. It could just be anything because there's micro-macro transitions in anyone's mm-hmm. career, right? um But it, people like you who are competitive, but don't, d- but don't become your worst enemy, and aren't a pe- perfectionist in that way. Mm-hmm. Like that is, uh that keeps you from beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. I am that person that beats herself up. Mm-hmm. I become my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. It helps me just to. Achieve success, mm-hmm. but I am absolutely my worst enemy. Hmm. Um, and and just, I think that's normal, though, Prim. And I
1: think a lot of women are like that.
0: Well, that's why I'm wondering yeah. where does yours come from? I, because I think I'm like
1: a guy. Yeah. Honestly, my husband's always like, "You're the man in this family." I'm like, "Well, I don't know." Yeah, I, I, like, I, 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 but women. It's one of the things that I love about women, but it's always, it's also one of the things that I think holds us back is that yeah. we want to check every box because we want perfection and we're so hard on ourselves. No, I'm not quite ready. So I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not sure I can take that leap of, you know, uh, in my job or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. We wait and we become risk adverse because we want to be 100% ready. And, I think, and I have fallen prey to that. I'm not saying that I'm not completely risk adverse, but now I look back and go, "Damn, you know, why didn't I say when they asked me to host something that I could totally do that?" You know, I did should you have say no it. to things? Yeah, I did you? No. Yeah they wanted me to host. They're like, you should think about hosting more. And I'm
0: like, nah, I can't do that. That surprises me. I mean, coming into this interview, I remember, I remember you saying that you didn't struggle from that. And I I have been able to put little pieces of your past together. Um, and I think part of like focusing on transitioning is also exploring people's either failures or mistakes. Those are strong words, but
1: Mm-hmm. Struggles
0: and those mm-hmm. struggles are important because the most successful people in life have have failed the biggest. Oh yeah. So I was like, where where has Julie failed? Like, where yeah. have her struggles occurred? Yeah. yeah. And so where have they occurred? Oh, I haven't failed anything. <laughs> <perfect>. <laughs> there it is. You failed to finish that donut at the beginning of the show, but you know what? You may finish it by the end. Oh,
1: uh, um, yeah. i Oh, yeah. I had a ton of insecurities like playing early on. Right. Like when. Uh, Geez, first ten years, first half of my national team career, right? In terms of, do I belong? What? I stink. You know, a sponsor might be in the stands, and all of a sudden, I'm worried that you know I'm not playing well enough with sponsor, or someone's in the stands that you know you care about, and so you have all these external things that start to impact you, and um, uh, and then you get to a point where you figure out strategies on how to to deal with them, right? And um, or you just get to a point of not caring anymore, which is a really great point, <laughs> which I got to a television, right? That's in awesome. the beginning of television, right? Which yes. is why I think I didn't want to host. It's like, you're so worried about the mechanics, mm-hmm. right? With new stuff. Like I could talk soccer all day, but like, if you asked me, if you asked me to host something, mm-hmm. it's a totally different, me- it's the mechanics of bumping, you know, to break right. or coming out of break or, you know, in, and that was unsettling in a way that I hadn't experienced, but you would have thought with all of the athletic stuff that you would just be like, let's go. But for some reason I hesitated. And then you missed that window. Then the opportunity is gone. And I'm like, shit, I could have hosted. <laughs> and now I'm like, I totally, you know, I can host. Yeah. It's like,
0: yeah, yeah, no, you missed that window. Cause you didn't raise your damn hand. <laughs> well, so I'm always like, raise your hand, say yes, you'll be, you'll be able to figure it out. Well, do you remember a moment when you didn't raise your hand and that was a pivotal moment that helped force you to be more proactive and, and believe in yourself? Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about like not in college because, because some of these pivotal, pivotal moments do happen very early on. I mean, maybe it was high school, maybe it was younger, maybe it was in college or maybe it was with the World Cup Mm -hmm. or US national team. Do you remember? Um... I think
1: the biggest lesson I learned um, that happened <laughs> – what are you doing, Swaggy? She's smelling She's Bella. She's like, I'm sniffing Swaggy, her, her What are you going around sniffing? Go eat your food. Go eat your food and stuff. Go get sniffing. the donuts. There you go. Or lie down. Good girl. Okay. Good job.
0: She's just going to be right in the middle I gotta of say, shot, the I've got to say, I've never had life. a dog. uh like <laughs> – this is what mary carillo deals with when she goes to the dog show like the
1: muppets like that's what you look like you look like a little (laughs) oh julian or muppet
0: um
1: i think the probably the biggest one lesson in that and it came collectively was our figuring out after having played on the national team for a long time like this isn't right And we need to raise our hand and say, it's not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's that Billie Jean King moment of when she's telling me about her struggles with tennis and how they broke away and did their $1 contracts to form the women's tennis association, um, how they had to literally stand up and fight for what they thought was right. That was the moment I was like, ah, we haven't been doing this and we need to raise our hands and say, and speak up and stand up. And, um, it took her saying, go, you got to do it. You keep asking others to do it for you and nothing's getting done. Like you have a voice, go use it. And, um, and that was probably the biggest life lesson because I then got to live and see how, when you can rally a group to stay unified and stand together and speak up together, that you can, you can move mountains because Mm -hmm. How are they going to cut an entire team, right? right? And done in a way that is reasonable and fair. And we're, we're not, you know, asking for them to pay us this exorbitant amount of money or ask for things that weren't, you know, standard. It was just like, we want we want what's fair. Right. And when we did it collectively, it reinforced the power of a movement, right? And that you can create a movement and a culture within your group. So that has always been kind of my framework for,
0: um, what, one of the bigger challenges that you faced. Yeah. What about, so how old were you, what year and how old were you when some of those conversations started to occur? And also when mm-hmm. Billy Jean King entered, I think we're just
1: out of college.
0: Okay. Around well, 22. But, yeah,
1: 23. 23. 24. And we, but we've been playing since we were 16, right? Right. So we're now eight years in. We're still getting paid $10 a day. <laughs> That's just. $10. And and it was kind of like, really? Why are you girls complaining? Girls, they call this all the time. Why are you girls complaining? Like, you play for the national team. You should be happy. You're getting $10. We're like, no, we are happy. But like. We can't live anymore, we're out of college. It's not like we're in high school and college anymore when you know you at least had your dorms paid for through college, like oh my gosh, how are we gonna make things work it's and so people were having to retire and quit, stop playing, and we're like this isn't right so um, I think that was the epiphany for for me.
0: Hmm. what was the toughest transition um was it becoming a, a member of the national team at what, 16? Mm-hmm. Because that's a huge, that's a huge stepping stone because you go from, you're still in high school mm. or was the transition, how about transition to college, which I don't think for you it was because you were like Stanford athlete of the year, like, you can, so, so, so Stanford athlete of the year, your freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. So I was like, clearly Jules didn't have any issue there. <laughs> Or was the transition from college to your professional career mm, that was hard th- that was hard because then you you lose the the comfort and the resources and being at Stanford totally, and now you're like, even yeah. though today we see professional athletes as who they are and the resources but you guys didn't have any resources oh, no. back then, and we had no professional league right right, yeah.
1: And still it was still early in the national team days, so it wasn't like there were a ton of games and camps to consume our time and give us something to do. So I actually remember sitting on um right before I was graduating Stanford, sitting on like my balcony one spring day and looking outside and there was like a gardener, you know, blowing and chopping, and I thought, well. I can always do that. Like I could, you know, I got, like I could, I I could do that. I, and I, like I, so I could do that. I could do that. And thinking like, just like this unraveling of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have to go out of this bubble that we live in at Stanford and actually, you know, make a living or figure out what I'm going to do. And that, um, and, and that thought for just that one moment on the balcony <laughs> was, oh God. But then, you know, we, and that's when we started to get wiser about negotiating and mm-hmm. making more money for what we were doing and playing. And I ended up actually going to play in Sweden and, um, and, and playing abroad there, um, to cushion that blow. But there was a point where you go, wow, what am I going to do? Cause we didn't have anything. There was right. no, structure to continue to train.
0: And, you know, as I was piecing some of that together, and it's almost silly of me not to ever consider the historical context, but um, I think that maybe that's why it's difficult for athletes who have those opportunities to play professional. Um, so, you know, it's, if there's a seven year old boy, and he's like, I want to be an NFL player because I want the mm-hmm. fame, I want the money, I want mm-hmm. the attention, like all the resources, like, you know, that's your ticket to get out of where mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. are. But back then, like, there was hardly any opportunities. And it, even if you were at tennis was the same way, where even if you were top 50 in the world, you weren't making a lot of money still. No. So maybe yeah. that transition came easy because you knew that you had to prepare for, when sport was going to end, which was potentially very soon. True. True. Like you weren't thinking, Oh,
1: my long-term goal is this. Exactly. Like they, you needed something else. I mean, beyond the fact that I love to like dabble in the other things, but no, the option of playing professionally wasn't even on your radar and making a living. Like, and even when I did go play abroad in Sweden, I didn't make, I, I, they basically paid for me to go over there and paid for my housing and then I broke even with everything else, right? Wow. I wasn't making any money. It's just I wasn't losing money. <laughs> so if I had a place to play and they could fly me back and forth, and they gave me a place to stay, then I was I was golden, right? Those were the expectations comparatively, you know. Now you could play in Europe or you could play right. in so many different places and make money. Thankfully, um, but no, we never had that dream growing up for sure.
0: So when you were going, when you were entering Stanford what were your goals athletically or academically co- professionally mm. career wise what would, where was your mindset
1: i think my mindset would have been because there was no professional league right my mindset was just on the national team mm. so we had our very first world cup ever happen while i was at stanford
0: it was in 91
1: um, that was in 91 and that was like the first ever women's world cup to ever happen and so you know, no one understood what a world cup was and didn't understand why I was taking three weeks off of school right before finals, you know? So literally I thought, Oh, they'll totally get it. And I came back and the professors were like, where have you been? Here's your final, you know, knock when you're done. Wow. <laughs> um, it was not the life altering event. I thought it would be because <laughs> no one knew about it. Um, but yeah, that was, so I I think my goals were probably just more national team focus because that was where I was at, right? And mm-hmm. um and what that looked like, we were trying to get into the Olympics, which we then, you know, obviously did get into in 96 in Atlanta for the very first women's soccer in the Olympics. Um so and I think that's where my activism started because of Then we started to realize, well, there's got to be more than $10 a day here. Like we should be building this for the future. This, you know, if we're going to continue to get better, this is not going to work. Right. We need a league. We need other things. And so that's when I started thinking broader.
0: That's comical that no one knows what the World Cup is. And you're having to explain to professors and especially at at higher learning, more prestigious institutions, Mm -hmm. even till this day, there are certain professors that look for that, Frown upon athletes because it's like yeah uh, you, uh, they're you're always going yeah you yeah. ruin the reputation of the our academia reputation right. and everything but that's yeah. that's crazy that um that you had to experience that did you have any ideas about what you wanted to do beyond soccer um well I always, besides being a gardener <laughs> I would have been great at it I love my garden. <laughs> um
1: i love that
0: probably it would have been less than ten dollars uh, a day you
1: came on the on the floor that's hysterical
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great
1: i just noticed that down there um well i i had always wanted to be a sportscaster but i didn't see men doing it like i love howard cosell and so I, but i never You always wanted to be a sportscaster yeah I loved, you know, I loved watching Monday Night Football and listening to him, and um, but I thought, oh, that's not very realistic, right? Mm. I need like a, I, I need a real job. So then, I loved like chemistry and biology, and I was fascinated by the body, and so I thought, well, I'll go be a doctor, just because that's like a good, pro- high achieving mm. profession. Maybe mm. so, I am a high achiever. I didn't think like nurse. I'm like, no, I'm gonna be a doctor.
0: If I'm gonna do it, I'm I'm gonna gonna do it all all the way to the top. Uh, And and I'm gonna gonna be on the medical board of the hospital. Yeah, and unfortunately, no one like smacked some sense into me
1: in undergrad and said, no, you could be doing, you know, art history as a major (laughs) or something a lot more practical like business or poli sci. So I did bio. Wow. As a major at Stanford, I did pre med. It was hard. And then I, I'm already down that road. So, gosh, I'm going to then go to med school, right? I'm going to do my MCATs. I did all that. I got in.
0: You got that. You did the MCATs right after yeah college. Yeah. And you, but but so, then the Olympics.
1: I was supposed to start wanna, two weeks after the Olympics. For so you med were
0: school. in college from 80, what is that? 89 to 93.
1: 93.
0: Uh-huh. So you so even after you had already won the World Cup in 91 mm-hmm. and then a couple years after that but so you were still even after winning the World Cup you were applying to medical school mm-hmm. and taking the MCATs. Mm-hmm. I just want to provide context because like that is so hard to do and you wouldn't see anybody doing that today. Yeah. Like
1: we just, won the, we just won
0: the Super Bowl. What are you going to do this, the, uh, this summer? I'm going to go and take the MCATs. Yeah. And it's also not that because I just had to take the GREs. Well, it was like
1: two years later. So World Cup was 91. I graduated in 93, and I think I must have taken them in like 94.
0: <laughs> but still, it's like, I mean, three years later, that's that's unbelievable. I wonder how I did on my MCATs. I can't remember. Because I remember yeah, like, like, like oh, that was hard. Because by the way... Again, going through this process because it's it's uh, going back to school in your late thirties is so different because you have a greater appreciation for how difficult everything yeah. was. I had to take the GREs. I haven't touched math in twenty five years. Yeah, and in talking to other doctoral students, I know people that did not become that did not go to medical school because they couldn't get in, so they got their PhD in something else. Oh God. So that makes me appreciate what you did. My dad yeah. was also a doctor. He was the first foreign student in University of Oklahoma's OBGYN department. Oh, in the really? 60s. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But That's that just awesome. gives me a, a Dr. greater... S- Dr. ass. S. Not going to be the only doctor in the family. <laughs> That's right. But um, it just gives me a greater appreciation for what people do, what you were able to do yeah. in the midst of all that of training. And but then I saw teen. the
1: light, and I was like, you're not going to be a doctor.
0: What are you, crazy? So you deferred.
1: Yeah. I, I, I Well, because the Olympics were starting. Um, oh, no. I was So I got in. So I took the MCATs in 94. I probably applied in 95 or 94. I got in. Maybe I deferred.
0: No. So
1: I applied in 95, and then...
0: Um, right before the Olympics yeah, I was supposed to
1: start fall of 96, right after the Olympics. So, but like literally right after the Olympics, cause Olympics were kind of late that year. So it was like, maybe we finished the Olympics and I had like 10 days and then I was supposed to start. And I knew this going in when I got accepted. So I had the foresight cause I was already having doubts about whether not about, I mean, I think I would have been happy as a doctor. It was just that it's such a very narrow trajectory and if you go down it like you either go into clinical or research mm-hmm. and it's not like being a lawyer where you can go a lot of different ways mm. right and that scared me like well, what happens if i don't like it and i now i'm sitting on a you know a loan of hundreds of thousands of dollars and i'm stuck because i got to pay this and i don't love being a doctor because i'm such an extrovert right yeah, And I love to try and dabble. And I knew I love to dabble in things and talk to people. And um, so I started having doubts and starting to, talk to, starting to talk to doctors. And every doctor, sadly, it was very depressing, was like, well, if you think it's your calling in life, then do it. But if not, run. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't feel like it's my calling. I can do a lot of really fun things. They're like, yeah, don't do it. Like our team doctor, Dr. Adams, he was like, Julie, let me put it to you this way. I live on this beautiful golf course in St. Louis, 14th hole. I haven't golfed in 15 years. <laughs> He's like, don't do it. You have so many other things you could do. But then I needed another year to like figure that out because it was such a life decision. So then Stanford let me defer a second year. They were kind. It's like, I'm having my doubts. They're like, take another year. You're good.
0: Wow. So I then, so, so then I did you for basically two or three
1: years and then told them, "No, I'm not coming."
0: Do you remember the day that? So was it basically I choose soccer? No, it wasn't even a soccer decision. It was like, right?
1: Well, I don't choose this path. So then, I what just, were you choosing I didn't at that point? Know. You didn't know. <laughs> so at this point, I just knew like eh, too too restrictive. Like I would feel like ah oh, straight jacket, you know, too much schooling and literally like, you know, and I didn't know what the future was with soccer. The 99 world cup hadn't happened. You know, Mm. we'd won the Olympics and that was a pretty big deal, but like, you know, we were still, people didn't know much about our team. It wasn't like we were making great living. I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I'll play soccer for a living. Mm. So if I had gone to med school, I wouldn't have done 99 world cup. I wouldn't have done any of that. Like, yeah, that would have been the end of my career. Isn't that weird? Like talk about the road.
0: Yeah, because but probably, and,
1: and, I mean, ha, what would have happened with all our negotiating stuff? You know, like what I met, yeah. Billie Jean King, that really was the catalyst behind that.
0: It's weird. What a courage honestly, that's a, looking back at it and hearing your entire story and the decision-making process, but like, what a courageous decision it ended up being because back then, yeah. becoming a doctor, especially yeah. back then, the medical field and the legal field, those are two things that were white-collar, positions and careers that it's like, if you want to make money, those are the two things yeah. and to do. How hard it is to get into Stanford. Like, are you crazy? Right. Like, why are you turning that down?
1: Right? Like my, but my parents never said that they didn't. So yeah. No, Cause I could, have I, I mean, I think now as a parent, I probably would have said to my kid, it's really hard to get in. You're in a position that very few are in. Are you sure <laughs> you want to walk away from this? And my parents, but my mom came from, she was a nurse. My dad oh. has no medical history, but my mom knew because she had been around doctors for so long. She knew how hard it was. So I think she almost knew like, I don't know, Jules, like if this is for you, right? Cause I remember her saying like, it's a hard road.
0: They work hard. It's, I mean, you know, your dad, my dad told it. me not to be a doctor. Yeah, I thought about becoming an orthopedic are. surgeon. Yeah, um, and I minored, and I could not do the. I was not smart enough to yeah. major in biology like you did. I tried. I did biological anthropology and anatomy at Duke, and yeah. I, did, I did a minor. And I was like, I'm good. That's like I can't. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, hard. It's so
1: hard. Yeah. So, so they were not like, oh, oh no, you should do this. They just
0: were like, what do you want
1: to do? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, but it's not probably this.
0: It's definitely when people are at a crossroads. It's definitely. Uh, when people ask me for advice about career stuff, I say it's, it's just as important to know what you don't want to do than what you do want to do, because at least that crosses off some options, um, but you have to do a lot of self-searching and you need a support system. So I'm curious who, who was your support system at that point where you could bounce off ideas and you could go to for advice, like who helped you make that decision, Mm about walking away from Mm -hmm. at that time was like the sure road to success. Yeah. And instead you chose the path that like hindsight now was like your golden Mm -hmm. ticket to everything. But like you had no idea that was like your road of uncertainty. Uh, My husband, who was very supportive of it, like don't do it then. And were you guys
1: married? We married. We got married in 95. So we were married by then when I walked away. So yeah, so I deferred for two years. We married, I got in, deferred. Um, so he, yeah, between him and my parents, and my parents were always really good that way, in a sense, because like, I remember my senior year of high school, I'd finally become a starter on the national team. And we were going on a trip abroad to Italy to play. And it coincided with my high school graduation.
0: Mm. I was like, oh,
1: I don't want to miss my high school graduation. And most parents would have been like, well, this is your chance on the national team. Yes, go. You should miss your high school graduation. It's the national team, right? Yes. Especially how parents are nowadays, right? Yes. Like you get on a national team and you finally got a foot in the door. Like you're, you're not missing this trip. And they were like, and this is how they always have been. They're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, and flipped it instead of telling me what they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. It was, well, what, what do you care deeply about? And I was like, well, I really want to be at high school graduation, but I feel like this is my chance. So I think I should go and like, let me talk through it. And Mm -hmm. then I came to the conclusion on my own that I should go to Italy and miss my high school graduation. Mm -hmm. And so when people then after that were like, how could you miss your high school graduation? I couldn't go, well, my parents made me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even like them anymore. They made me do these things because it was my decision.
0: So they gave you the space and the freedom Mm -hmm. to make your own decisions. Mm -hmm. But I want to make a distinction because, right, so this this goes – And I know you're passionate about youth sports and like the involvement of parents and everything. And Mm -hmm. it's more intense than ever before. And a lot of this show is geared towards parents raising young athletes and educating them through people's stories about what you should or should not do. Right. It is very much of Asian or American culture today, at least, generally speaking, to give kids, the option, like the choice of like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And I say that coming from an Asian background mm-hmm. where things are very instructive and directive. And, mm-hmm. and it's usually like a one-way communication where parents tell you to go, you're going to practice eight hours a day. Right. So that's the way, right. that's the way it rolls. So, you know, parents often ask like, when do you, how, do you sh- how much, how involved should I be? Should I make the decision? How much should I push? How much should I let my kid make the decision at yeah. 7, 8, 12? Yeah. But I think the difference with you was, is that you were already a hard worker. Yeah. Because you can't let the kid who's lazy. Right. Exactly. You can't take that approach. And I want to make that distinction. Yeah. Because that's huge. Because you were yeah. a straight A student and you were so smart. You got yeah. into Harvard and Stanford and going for a medical degree. So they knew. So your parents must have known that you were self-driven. Very responsible too. Yeah. Yes. So they gave you that freedom. Right. Exactly. Okay.
1: But I also think you have to, um, you definitely have to read like, like my, so my, for example, my kids, right? Mm. My 12 year old daughter, very self-driven, mm. very competitive. So we can back off her. Mm. My 10 year old son, <laughs> less self-driven, yeah. but like a great athlete, competitive, mm. but you know, like, if I didn't tell him to remind him to brush his teeth every day, he'd go weeks without brushing his teeth,
0: right? <laughs> and I'll say to him, Declan, <laughs> why
1: do I have to ask you if you've brushed your teeth? You're ten years old. Is he at ten years old? I was not saying every day to brush your teeth. He goes, well, he goes, well, that's obvious. She's a girl. I go, what does that mean? She's more responsible, mom. <laughs> I was like, it's she, so
0: true, though. She
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he, he takes more like guardrails for sure. But the, the issue I always have is like, when do the guardrails Hmm. become
0: too suffocating? Right.
1: Right. Like Uh. eventually like he needs to, to lose seven teeth like a pirate to, (laughs) to realize like,
0: I'm not, I'm not going to keep reminding him to brush his damn teeth. I'm going to come visit you in five years and (laughs) your son's going to have like seven teeth missing. You're like, Prem, gotta let him learn. Gotta let him learn.
1: So like, I don't, I don't want to constantly be those like guardrails bouncing him back. Yeah. I want him to fall and figure it out. Yeah. But he clearly needs like, even like, you know, a nudge on the field, like his energy sometimes. Cause <laughs> oh God,
0: let's go. That's awesome. No, it is really true that, uh, like when I'm sure you have parents asking you all the time about philosophical questions about what to do with their kids and yeah. you're so involved in, in sports, but yeah. It, and that's like the me studying positive psychology and coaching and sports performance. Like that's definitely the thing that's being driven home is that you have to read, your student and your kids mm. um, because there's not a one size fits all approach with everybody.
1: Yeah. Right. Because And you also have to know when to back off. Like it, if we go too hard on him, he, it, it sucks the joy out of it. Right. Mm. So like I've had that conversation with my husband too. It's like, we're going to suck the joy out of him. He's 10 years old. Like let's just let him be. And he's going to have to figure it out. Right. And we'll, we'll help him get there. But like, it's, I, and probably my frame of reference comes from my parents being so hands-off, right? So I – and I did fine. <laughs> so that's where I'm like, okay.
0: So you were the third – Fourth. Fourth. So you were the baby? Mm-hmm. Well, do you think they were hands-off because you are the baby? That's, that's what happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Because – They were tired. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they might have been tired, but were – was there ever a conversation with your siblings, like, Mom and dad are so like, they let you get away with murder. Cause that was definitely the conversation in my oh, house. Really? Like, what yeah, because I had. A, you? Well, I, we only have two, but yeah. my brother is five years older. Okay. So that's a pretty big age yeah. gap. And then you add the whole like little girl. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I got away with murder <laughs> starting around like the age of 12, especially when I moved to the tennis academy. It was game on. Well, the only downside to that is my brothers had done everything
1: terrible. So my, my my parents, who are well-equipped, understand terrible. So they were not easily fooled by anything, right? Hilarious. You know, like, they checked my breath when I came home from parties. Like, So, no, they were, they were pretty strict like that. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but in a sense of, like, they never came to soccer games.
0: Really? The joke
1: was, like, oh, Slim Jim and Fruity Judy are here? What's going on? And I'd be like, ah! I don't know. Hey mom, hey dad. Like I they no, they were not like on the sideline. I mean, they were there, but they mm. were they missed all, a lot because there were four kids and there were other mm. things and and that's another thing I say to to my husband, like we don't have to be at every damn game. Like it's okay. Like if I'm traveling for work, it's all right. Like and you too. Like if you need to take a break, don't go to every game. It's fine. They're going to be just fine because then they realize
0: too, that it's not just you that enjoys it as a parent. Like mm. they have to enjoy it. It's a great perspective. I didn't think about that. Mm. Now being a new mom, you just kind of think like, what happens if I'm not there? You know, like, yeah, no. no, he's not here with us. Um, and I, I think I understand that from, from a career perspective. Cause I, I love my, what I do. I know it's not who I am, but I love what I do. But when it comes to his activities and everything, which we haven't reached yet, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, my parents were, I always had probably one parent there mm-hmm. um, only because they cared. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lie, uh, not to throw them under the bus, but but it is important to have these like open and honest conversations, but it did feel suffocating at times. And mm-hmm. even till this day, like I... I don't always like people hovering over me. Cause it's, I just need that space. Yeah. I need yeah, that space. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's healthy for them to realize like, you know, I can play without someone hovering over me and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you defer from mm-hmm. Stanford medical school mm-hmm. and then what happens next? What's your, what are the conversations like with your husband in terms of what you're going to do with mm. your soccer career, what you're going to do for the rest of your life.
1: Um, well, then we, so 96 happens, we defer, and then we start to realize that we're hosting the 99 World Cup. And so that's when like the national team started to kick into gear. Cause now we're hosting this big event. We are training more. We're playing more. And, uh, Billie Jean King came into our lives, and so we're pushing them more for more money. So we're getting
0: paid a little bit more. And how how early is it? A couple years before the 99? At what point is... I just like knowing the timeline. Yeah, so this is um, 96. So the Olympics, we won. Right. That was a you big success. Goal, yep.
1: So like 97, 98, we start okay. really putting the hammer down. For, okay.
0: So you spend like... It's like a good two, three years, yeah. two years of like, this is when things really start to shift. And you guys are starting to put your head down and really start to work with regards to exactly equal pay. And and we start like
1: pouring over documents of how much money they're spending on a 12 year old boy versus a 12 year old girl. You know, what does the staffing look like? What does the marketing look like? Um, and taking a deeper dive into how is this federation set up? And, You know, why is it that 80% of the funds are going to a 12 year old boy and 20% are going to 12 year old girls? And as a nonprofit in GB, right, national governing body, you're supposed to grow the game for all, right? Mm -hmm. So once we got that down and we started making that argument, we got those numbers behind us to back us up, then, you know, they didn't have an argument to make. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not about. Us making money personally, it's about the growth of the game and how are you spending this much more? And it, it was almost an unconscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. Because you discover like, well, it's all men, and this is what they're familiar with, and they're it's what going, they've been doing for years, yeah, right? And it's all men, and this is right. We only know about men's soccer because women's soccer was still so young. So, um, so that those were kind of the years of digging in, and then '99 happens, we have that great success, and finally, as we used to say. Who's driving the bus? we driving the bus. <laughs> Who's driving the bus? Whenever we get in a contract uh, negotiate or a conversation with our lawyer, and he'd be like, "No, they're not going to give you that." We'd be like, "Oh, excuse me. Who's driving the bus now? We're driving the bus."
0: He's like, "Guys, <laughs> you know, that's what he would do." He'd be like, Are you "Be serious." serious?
1: <laughs> I'm like, "No, no, no. We're serious. We're driving the bus. So tell them,
0: um, you know, with regards to the conversation of equal pay." what uh pay disparity um among professional sports and and female athletes um uh oh does swaggy need to go outside what's going on do you need to go tinkle let's go tinkle come here
1: <laughs> 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 let's tinkle, swags come on puppies you've been a good girl yes you so have swag yes you have swags she's like i can only sit for so long come on let's go body Oh well. Go
0: I'm only going to go for 10 more minutes. God, that went so quick. I'm only going to go for 10 more minutes. What time is it? It's 10, 11 13. Okay. You got 10 more minutes? Yep. Cool. I have a.
1: Yep, that's perfect. Is that sound going to bug you if I leave that open?
0: Um, no i don't even hear, I anything. Don't hear anything yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, i hear a little barking but okay oh, no, I was um you know well with regards to equal pay um mm-hmm. you know with the recent world cup team everybody was talking about equal mm-hmm. pay, right and and so many people I, i've been a part of those conversations and some people would ask like oh, do female athletes get the respect they deserve and whatever. I said, you know what? You're asking the wrong person because I come from the world of tennis, and we had our, we had Billie Jean King, and she mm. did every, she did everything. She right. she started, which is this, why
1: you guys were like
0: getting that's you know, why so much more money so much earlier, right? You you look at the yeah, and even on the the 2018 or 2019 Forbes list, the top 15 highest paid female athletes, 12 out of 15 are all tennis, like, and they walk away with 3.8 million dollars yeah. at, yeah. at the U.S. Open and all that stuff. So it's like we got spoiled with Billie and Jean King, but you guys were soccer's Billy Jean King. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm stealing some of these words from the William sisters and, and Millie mm-hmm. Jean herself, but who was the first, what was the first incident or conversation or event where you're like, wow, like God, we got to do something mm-hmm. because it, you mean in terms of more money, it sounds so simplistic and so obvious, right. but what was the first conversation where you're like, "We've got to do this. We collectively like this is bigger than us and soccer. Like we have to." So start it doing- was
1: right after meeting Billy, and she said to me, "You, you have to do something. Like you as players, like you have a voice, Fouty. Go use it." And I was like, "Okay, okay." I was literally going from that meeting to flying in to meet the national team. This is like mid '90s, '95, where we were going to sign another ten dollar a day contract. <sighs> And I s- literally got the team in a room and I was like, no, we are not doing this. So you
0: were that person? Yeah. You were the I'm like, person. like, no, we're not
1: doing this. I just was meeting with Billy Jean and we are going to start fighting this. Because by then, like the little things had started to like creep in and we knew like, this isn't right. Like, why are we staying at these roach hotels and just you know having to take the the hotel shuttle to get to a game or you know like you know having to fly four you know layovers because it's cheaper for the federation rather than one layover to get across the country so um it was building we called it character building and to a point where we were like pooping character out we were like we're done it's (laughs) we have
0: built enough character
1: (laughs) it's coming out our ears
0: that's going to be the title of your episode pooping character
1: pooping character out um uh, so but um that was probably the first time we were like uh no more. And and then that's when we hired John Langle, our lawyer that ended up being with us for, you know, 15 years and um we started to then realize, okay, we have a chance to change things. And un- unlike today's group, which is fighting for equal pay, which they should be, we were more about equitable pay. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, we're not seeking exactly what the men make, but mm-hmm. God, like we're getting the crumbs here. Mm-hmm. right? This, this needs to be better because we're the ones who are winning. We're the ones who are going to be attracting moms and your consumers. And clearly Nike cares about our team. Mia is your biggest asset. And then when you have Mia saying, you know, ah, I'm happy to walk away from the game if you're not going to support it anymore, hmm. then that's a little scary to U.S. soccer Yeah, because <laughs> they know that Nike would not be happy with that. So finally, we had some leverage, right? You had the big yeah. corporations that were behind players, and we'd won a World Cup in 99. And um, and that's when the conversation changed.
0: I was going to say, what what would have happened if you guys didn't win the World Cup? And in the manner yeah. in which you guys won it. Yeah. With the Brandy Chastain, the yeah. sports bra, the gumption that you guys had. It was right. just like the perfect storm. Yeah. So what would have happened had you guys not won? I mean, it would have been
1: definitely a harder sale because their argument all along in the nineties was no one cares about women's soccer, right? We're we're not spending the money on marketing because there's not gonna be a return on investment. So without a return on investment, we can't afford it. And We'd say, well, you don't know that. How do you know that? We'd say, you haven't ever spent the money and watered the garden. Mm. So how do you expect to bloom flowers if you're not putting in the water? Like you have to take care of the garden, like put some money into it, build the market, and they will come. Because we're successful, we're gonna, and, and you've got all these personalities. You've got great role models, great humans, like all the elements are in place. Yeah, <laughs> you
0: stupid idiots. <laughs>
1: That's like basically what we were saying. Like, how dumb do you have to be? You've got hot women, you've got nice women, kind women, great athletes, and we're winning. You have all, and you have everything. Like, just go tell people we exist. But they
0: were their heads were stuck in no, the sand. No,
1: we don't want to women's soccer isn't going to be popular. There's no market for it. There's not enough girls who play. I mean, the number of excuses and, uh, and things they would say to try and tell us we were crazy. It's, um, and it wasn't until literally like Nike came on board and they, they signed Mia as their biggest athlete. And then you see like, well, Nike values her. They're using her in commercials alongside Michael Jordan. Mm. Oh, and now Gatorade's using her. Mm. And now like, She's your biggest marketing tool we have, even over the men. Mm -hmm. And yet you're not seeing that. Mm -hmm. And so you and you see this in every sport. You have to force their hand and continue to stand up Mm -hmm. and say something. But we didn't realize the power of our voice till Billy said, Wake up, (laughs) Fouty.
0: You do it. Does she call you by her last name? Yeah, all
1: the time. And she growls at me. (laughs) Fouty!
0: You got the growl. Uh I love I loved your podcast uh, episode with um, with Billy Jane, and you mentioned that she was so awesome in the fact that, like she just would check in with you yeah. every single month. Um, but have you ever really sat down just by yourself and/ or with your teammates just to talk about like all the things that like came together mm. to allow for forget the win, right? Like you guys won for women. Mm -hmm. You won for sports and like, Mm -hmm. like, and this is just your story. So I I can't imagine everybody else's was like, went to Stanford, you know, like deferred medical school, Mm -hmm. married your husband, who was Mm -hmm. a huge part of Mm -hmm. like encouraging you to not do that. Cause there might've been a lot of husbands that, you know, your parents and then winning, uh, going to the Olympic games, winning the gold already being there. And then, having started the conversation and the process two to three years before, mm-hmm. in terms of equitable pay, because had you not started that process, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have achieved that. No, for sure. And what about the Billie Jean King? What right. happens if you didn't run into yeah, her exactly. and you go back to the team yeah. and say, "We're not going to sign this yeah. contract"? Well, especially with the timing of yeah. that. Yeah, have yeah. you guys talked about that? Like just like the no. little pieces?
1: No, probably not. I mean, we've talked a lot about. Um, you know, the journey and process of getting to a place where I mean it helps that we played together for so long. We talk a lot about that Mm -hmm. sisterhood. Like you you know, you know Prim as well as as most, like there's something special about that when you've lived it together, that, you know, you there's a bond that is is not breakable. And so to go through stuff like this, um, together, it just reinforced that bond, Mm -hmm. right? And when you have, you know, the most selfless, wonderful humans alongside you in a Mia and a Brandy and a Carla and all these women who literally care deeply about making the sport better. It Mm -hmm. wasn't about lining our pockets, right? Um, We talk a lot about that, Mm -hmm. right? And how powerful that is still in our lives. Like we're all still close. Like we I have, can tell. and our kids, have, you know, now are growing up together. And, um, so, but, you know, and, and the pride of watching this current group do it yeah. because it's, it's hard, right? It's hard in the middle of a world cup to sue your employer
0: <laughs> and yeah. right
1: before a world cup starts and say, we're going to go to a world cup together still, but, <sighs> and we're going to win it together still. Oh, but, oh, by the way, you need to pay us more and we're going to sue you for it. I mean, that's not that's crazy. I'm not sure we would have done that right before the World Cup, right? Yeah. We would probably would, would have waited till after, but I commend them for, for having the courage to do it because I do think it made a big statement and a stance.
0: It's almost like you guys have, you've known each other for so long and you've loved each other for so long and you are a part of it. that It's almost like you don't have to go back and talk about it. Yeah. But, uh, and just hearing your conversations with your teammates, it reminded me of our uh, Ben and I's wedding where, Like we're still getting stories today about what happened that night, you know, because there's just like this big. And so, um, and our wedding has been a little bit in like ESPN (laughs) discussions. Like we, I had so many um, ESPN people there because there's one thing that I walked away. It was like so much love and friendship. Yeah, And so like everyone's there. There's a lot of drinking. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, Golik misses his radio show the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. So Stu Stugatz is like, uh, everyone's going to Twitter. They're like, is he okay? They go to Twitter. They realize he's at our wedding. The last picture is of him just like at the club. They're <laughs> like, okay, we, we know that he, he went to Prim's wedding. So he's okay. And he missed our show. <laughs> that is Anyways, it's, it's a, um. But my point is, it's like, it sounds like that that win and that period, like you guys are still getting stories, but it comes from fans. Like I remember when I was, you know, somewhere and. Yeah, exactly. It happens all the time still, (laughs) which is
1: still nice, you know, like I was there or I was watching it here. Yeah. Um, that actually is, is we just had our 20th reunion of that. And so we were discussing a lot of those stories, which you haven't heard. Right. And Hmm. which is always fun. Um, Makes you feel old, but
0: it's it's always fun. Um, For, gosh, not sure how to, the final question, but I mean, for... There's so much to unpack, I mean, with, with youth sports and specialization and athletes and identity retiring and all that stuff. But if you just had to give just some general advice, um, I'll leave it super open, open-ended, but if you just had to give some general advice to a lot of the young athletes out there mm. and who really put sports on a pedestal. Athletes or the, or the parents? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do two answers. First, because the parents need the yeah. advice. No. Okay. How, what, what's your advice to athletes out there?
1: Uh, find the joy in it, right? Like there has to be joy. If there isn't joy, stop <laughs> because you're not, I, I mean, we were successful because there was joy. Like that's the thing I take away from everything I look back on. I mean, there was always laughter and when you're grinding as hard as you need to grind at the highest level, you need to be grinding with people who are having fun doing it. Um, so or you need to be enjoying the grind right like so find what makes you smile and laugh and wake up every day excited and maybe it's not every day you're excited to go train Mm -hmm. but you love being out there smelling the grass being around your friends all those things Mm -hmm. um because we get into things and not just in sports but we get into things where there's no joy in it but we think we should be doing it Mm. And I just don't think those things end well in the end, right? Or you grind for a long time and you look back and go, why did I do that mm-hmm. for so long? Um, and then for parents is to to not suck the joy out of everything, right? We're very well-intentioned and I get it. It comes from a really good place, but we have to step away and say, like, we didn't have this growing up.
0: Like there weren't parents hovering over us. How about some specifics? Because I think the, the problem lies in parents are like, they don't have that self-awareness because they don't know, right. they don't have any experience in sports. So they're right. like, I'm not one of those parents, but guess what you are. Yeah. So how about, can like, you give specifically some examples? When I talk about sucking the joy
1: out, you know, are you the one on the sideline shouting? Right? Are you the parent in the car when you're driving home, breaking down everything? Right. Right. Home is tough. Yeah, Yeah. it's tough. And and again, I get it. It comes from a place that, and I have to catch myself. Right. Like if my kid is complaining that another teammate didn't do enough, are you the one saying, "Yeah," and your coach also stinks? And you're right. Instead of like, I have to check them. I'm like, what are you doing, complaining about a teammate? You never complain about teammates. Right. That's you don't blame other people. Stop pointing the finger. It's not this person or that person. And, and what could you all do better? Right. And so, um, constantly thinking about how we're talking and then the greatest gift my parents gave me, like when it comes to decisions that I have to make about life or sports or whatever it is, like let your kid be an independent thinker, right? Because no. in the end, they have to live with the decision, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can be guardrails, which I you know, hope to be, but like in the end, you can't make that decision and trust that your kid's mm-hmm. going to pick the right thing, right? So
0: what about advice for athletes who um, are looking for things beyond sport, or maybe even if they're still playing like what kind of words of wisdom could you pass? <laughs> Swaggy's like, this is towards okay. the end. <laughs> Swaggy. Yeah. Swaggy was bringing in the bocce balls <laughs> now. He's like, you guys have been talking long enough. It's time to play. It's time to eat donuts. <laughs> when I
1: start hearing the, the, the balls bounce in the back, I know it's time to play.
0: I hear you, Swaggy. I know. Go get, don't knock down any of the courts, though. Um, you know, just athletes that are playing sports and, and hyper-focused right what are some words that maybe you could throw their way that could maybe maybe wake them up in terms of what comes afterwards yeah and how to prepare um, i think sports just remember
1: it's what you do it's not who you are right who you are is many other things sports is something that you do but they and they're an important part of your life but they're never going to define your whole life and let take the positives of that but always remember you're shaping who you are right figure out what your anchors are and gravitate to that and for me again it was keeping myself busy while I was playing you know doing other jobs doing other adventures, right? If you're interested in something, do it. It's not that you have to just be 100% sports person all the time. And because then that helps the transition because now you've got your fingers in the other pots and pies and okay, I can, I can go here and I can go here and I have a little bit of background here or I've, you know, I followed this passion here. Um, and boy, think about how many companies would kill to have athletes. I wish I had the opportunities now they have of, you know, interning at different places and just getting some job experience that's super flexible because they realize you're a, you know, a great athlete that also needs to train all the time, but those things exist, like tap into that resource and start doing other things while you're playing.
0: That's a good. That's a good point. There's a lot more recent. The Harvard, uh, business class. Uh, Anita, I'm trying. To if her name is slipping a bit, but it's cross crossing over. But it's it's a Harvard business class geared towards professional athletes. But, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, I believe I I want to say Carly might have gone, but there's been MBA. It was specifically designed for NBA players, but there's been all sorts of. Yeah. You know, professional athletes. Um, but I, I think that's our cue, cue because Swaggy's. Like Did over. you try? You prompted her, Zeb. You try. You took tried to take a photo of her. Mm-hmm. Jules, yeah. thank so you for like, coming on the show and just opening oh, up and sharing everything. You're so good, friend, and your donuts. And we got five left. You can either share them with your family or oh, no, not. I'm You're not, not going sh-
1: to. sharing anymore.
0: You're just going to hide My them in the, the closet. Know they existed. Are your no, are your I'll kids allowed them. for to eat squash oh, and donuts?
1: Yeah. Um, Izzy tries to tell me she doesn't love don- donuts, and I was like, "What? I don't even know you. You're not my child."
0: She says she doesn't like donuts. She's like I don't love donuts. I was like, "Stop right there. <laughs> you are not my <laughs> Who
1: says that? That's sacrilege.
0: You know, we talked about a lot of things during our conversation, but going back to the topic of whether there's a difference between team sport athletes versus individual sport athletes. Turns out there's actually some research to back this up in the sense of there is a difference. Studies have shown that participation in individual sports such as tennis and wrestling is associated with greater mental health difficulties compared to those who participate in team sports. In fact... Individual sport athletes appear to be more likely to suffer from anxiety or depression and are more likely to play for goal-oriented reasons compared to team sport athletes. And even when compared to the general population and those who do not play sports, individual sport athletes are associated with greater mental health difficulties. And for that reason, some researchers have actually suggested that the environment of team sports may be more beneficial for children compared to individual sports. Now, of course, it's important to note that the research is still evolving. So take this all with a grain of salt. But it's certainly something to think about, especially for all the sports parents out there. Really hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions, you can find me on all social media platforms at prim underscore seripipat. The next chapter with Prim seripipat is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.